I might, might listen. Tesla's not perfect. Uh, the the infotainment specific to podcasts and radio and other items is quirky. It's definitely not as good as it oh, could yeah. be. Oh yeah, I can't get my local NPR station on. Local local no, Citroen owner calls Tesla interface quirky. There's your headline. <laughs> yeah, that's the former former Citroen owner. Hey, this is the Atonicast. I am Damon Labritz. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, senior transportation reporter with TechCrunch. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm Alex Roy, occasionally from Argo AI, host of No Parking, and we'll just leave it at that. Ooh. I feel like you have a lot more titles that you could throw in there, but you're not. I, I read once that really important people just have a name and nothing else. So I'm sorry to, I'm just going to cut it, cut it off right there. You'll notice that uh, Damon actually introduced himself with just a name, no title. So yeah. For him. those who are just checking in, Damon was the original founder of the Atana cast and remains a visionary to this day. <laughs> He's shy, you're but too, it's a fact. You're, you're far too kind as always. Now did all of you folks see uh, in the last couple of days, the actor John Krasinski launched a podcast called – it's a, a YouTube channel called Some Good News. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. And I have to say I was charmed by it, charmed. Um, and I think we need more of that, although I, I'd like it to be less cheesy. Not to, I want it to be some good news, but not too good. <laughs> so this is what I resorted to, um, and it's become harder each day. But when I feel like I've been overwhelmed by COVID-19 news because I'm writing about it all day long, I have gone to Google and I will just type in what in my mind is the most distant (laughs) town in the world. And I hit the news tab and I just want to see what their local news is. And so it's changed. Like It was a joy to be like reading about the city council meeting about, you know, Allowing cows, or that sounds like so, 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 some of the best mental health reading. Yeah, something like something mundane. But now, unfortunately, it's like impossible to find just any kind of normal, everyday type non COVID nineteen news. And I've searched far and wide. Every day gets a little bit more difficult. My version of this has been listening to a lot of country and Western music, which is not something I normally do at all, but like there's something very like calming and like normal about it in a weird, I don't know. There's, there's just something about it. that's just like, it's like soothing and simple and like, because their songs are more depressing than. Yeah. You, you look at the news and it's a big complicated and scary world out there and it's just gets reinforced every day and and it's nice to like retreat. You just want to listen to the guy that like lost his truck and his dog and yeah. (laughs) Simple problems. Yeah. Yeah. Let let me tell you something. I was uh, considering because I have a Tesla and I charge here at my secret bunker location. I was considering getting in the Tesla with, you know, I have mountains of wipes. I've got like two emergency N95 masks, just like a final merge. I, I sent the rest to my friend who's a nurse and a few to my, um, to my daughter who's you know, just in case. But I was thinking of taking the car and with a, a couple of GoPros and doing a drive through of Manhattan at night, driving past like the hospital locations and see what's actually happening. Cause you, there's virtually, virtually no like on the ground real video news happening in a lot of places. And uh, I'm curious what's going on there. But before I went and did that, I saw a news story of some influencer from New York City with her husband and like five or six kids who bought an RV and decided to leave New York a few days ago to escape right? and drive cross country. And they they claimed that they were going to stay in the RV and never leave it. Um, but they got a lot you, of you hate can, mail. And, you can and, tell and, they have uh, not spent a lot of time RVing because anybody who has knows, and I haven't done a lot, but like I've known enough to know you do not stay in that freaking RV all the time. Like you have, if you think <laughs> being stuck at home is bad, try being stuck in an RV. You have it's, to get out. It's, yeah, not, not better. Well, unless you brought like firearms, if you had an RV full of food and you're driving with like out of state plates anywhere, I would not assume the best outcomes i don't know i just a bunch of influencers broadcasting their location 
you know, with a stacks of cash and food in an RV just seems stupid. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah. My question to you guys is this. Is there something wrong with me driving to New York City with a GoPro for journalistic purposes if I stay in the vehicle? No, because you're, but if you were to at the same time attempt to break a record, (laughs) driving record of some kind, then that would be around NYC. Not that you've done that in the past, maybe. Time for another one lap of Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it would be a good time to do it, but it would be actually a terribly irresponsible time. No, I mean, journalists are on the ground. I mean, you know, we're all out if we're reporting like in hospitals and things like that, I guess my question would be like, what do you hope to get or what do you think you're getting out of that? I mean, what do you just to see what, how dead the streets are? Well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm actually curious to know what's actually happening in Manhattan now. And I've watched all, all the local news channels and I can't see it. Like I don't actually see it. I've anecdotally heard that the city, anyone with money's left the city and that there is like a rise in street vandalism. Um and car break-ins for whomever's left cars in the street. I'm curious to see this for myself. It's funny what you, you're quite, you're bringing up uh, driving long distances illegally because I've received hundreds of emails from people who want to know if now is the right time to break the Cannonball Run record. And my old compatriot Ed Bolian, who broke my record, did a video last week called "COVID Cannonball Run." But half the video is about whether or not he's upset about losing the record, which he did. Um, but And he doesn't really get into the mechanics of what it would take to go right now. And I have some thoughts. So put on your seatbelts right now. <laughs> okay. So I think that on one hand, it is absolutely the best time in American history since the advent of the motor car to go cross country to break the record. However... Um, there are developing, even by the hour, uh, stories of states that are pulling over cars with out-of-state plates. So I would not want to be in a vehicle with out-of-state plates stopped for speeding by the one cop who's seen 12 monkeys too many times, who assumes that <laughs> I'm the guy from New York who's infected, trying to infect everyone else by dr- cross-country. I, I would not want to be caught in a car with out-of-state plates this week. In a way, it's the worst week ever to do it for those who are caught. The best week, perhaps, if you want to avoid traffic. But I'm going to say to anyone who wants to do this that I think it's a very bad idea for two reasons. Uh, the first one is part of – I mean, it's immoral no matter what. Part of the – I guess the the game is that – Every few years, someone says it can't be done. Traffic gets worse. Someone goes across anyway and goes even faster by learning the patterns of American culture and society and roads. But today, the system is literally offline. There is no traffic. Like The American system of roads and traffic and patterns is literally turned off. And so in a way, I would say it's cheating. But it's also, I think, against the spirit of the game. Because if you go cross country now and have a crash and a single first responder has to go offline mm, for what yeah. they should really be doing, then like you are like actually you're like kind of pissing on like the, the game of the world, the system of the world. Like these people, these police officers, law enforcement folks and you know, firemen and paramedics do not need to be today of this week of all weeks stopping to help some someone like me who thought going cross country was more important than staying home and playing their part, uh, you know, to uh, social distance. So I'm going to, I'm going to say no, no one should go cross country. I have a question for you. Yeah. So, so we've been seeing um, like NASCAR has gone to like an all digital format, like, like racing in particular has really embraced esports during this whole situation. Um, is there like a video game that you can, you can do cannibal in? Is there a cannibal simulator? I mean, it seems like, right. Like when you have socially irresponsible things that people just really like to do and don't want to stop doing, like, <laughs> it seems like more and more the, the, the way to handle that is to give people a way to do it digitally so that they don't put people at risk. And like, like if, if this doesn't exist, which I, I don't think it does, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this. Like, shouldn't you like start a company <laughs> to develop this game? So there's a Need for Speed game that came out a few years ago called The Run, which is kind of that. 
And then there's a thing called The Crew. is another game, which is oh, an yeah. open yeah. driving world. Um, I've never seen any of these games capture like the magic and fun of actually doing it. But like all crime... Um, there's no crime like crime. It's an Alex and so, like, classic gem right there. <laughs> there's no crime like crime. Like so, I mean, you can gamify crime. Like you can, like you can build Vegas, but there's always going to be someone who still wants to walk into the bank with a gun. Right. Like, like, no, no, I that's, mean, that's totally fair. No, G, 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 GTA is only going to uh, satisfy as many people. Well, the other thing too that I think is worth bringing up, and um, you know, I've been like champing at the bit to get on the motorcycle uh, for a ride the last week or two, uh, just because I've got time. And obviously it's pretty good as far as social distancing goes. But my larger concern is just the fact that, yeah, nobody's out there, but the cops are still out there, right? Their their forces have not been reduced, at least here in California. And we're seeing reports of speeding incidents or speeding tickets going up, but also speeds going up. So I think just last week, somebody was pulled for going like over 113 on 280 somewhere. Like, there's the the chances of you actually being able to evade <laughs> the police when they have no, when nobody else is on the road seems um seems faulty at best. Yeah, you're not going to blend in. You're going to stand no, out. No, exactly. Um, but exactly. also, I think that when anytime that there is uh, a lot of stress on first responders and law enforcement because of what's going on elsewhere, seeing someone blatantly break the law like that. You're not going to get a pass. Let's just put it that way. You're probably going to get it a little bit harder than you would have otherwise. But now would be the time to wear the doctor's disguise. Now no. more than ever. <laughs> no. Get the ambulance. Get, get, get Dom DeLuise. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That ambulance suddenly became a lot better as an idea. <laughs> I think you should just stick with plan B and just stay in your undisclosed location and continue to convert your model three into a technical for when things get really interesting. Right. Uh, by the way, my Morgan three wheeler, which has been broken for two years um, <laughs> is currently at the Morgan mechanic. And I was told that I'm either going to pay for its repair or they're going like, to they're gonna just throw it out. <laughs> Maybe you should get it repaired. So I just um, paid to get it repaired in anticipation of selling it. And I'm wondering if I wear a full face helmet, if that's socially distanced enough to drive it through Manhattan. Oh yeah. I mean, you're socially distancing. If you've got a full helmet on and no one's around you, I think that that's fine. Mm-hmm. But um, the question is, is, is that going to be the third car of yours that sits <laughs> in my garage? We've had two now. We should complete Look, the trifecta. This, I feel like <laughs> this is the Atonic cast. Should we start talking about serious yes. topics? Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. You might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. So we were talking about how people have been responding to COVID-19. Some are in a hold up in a bunker. Others are planning illegal race across America. But then there are companies out there that are trying to respond and pivot in some way. And we've talked about this a couple of times this push more towards delivery. But one company, Wheels, is actually addressing, I think, something that is really going to be more about a post-COVID world mm-hmm. than right now. Because right now, a lot of people have pulled back their usage of scooters altogether. But I've always said, um, and Ed and I have talked about this when we went on our jump bicycle ride 
that one the, time. The ride of the infamous sticky hand, like handle grips. So yeah. disgusting. Ew. Yeah. Ew. So gross. And, <laughs> and, and, um, at that time I thought to myself, man, I just don't see how the company that figures out how to deal with the germaphobe sensation of this, um, is going to win. And now in a, once we get through this, which I think we will, our behavior is going to change. And I've said this before on the show, the companies that can survive in the short term, if they don't change the way that they do business will not survive in the long term. So right now, if companies can, they should be thinking about how human behavior is going to change. Our appetite for certain things is going to to change and our willingness or tolerance for design and how we use things like touchscreens and handlebars and shared devices is going to change. So wheels, Damon, you were following this story, right? Well, it was just one of those things that, I mean, anything that claims to do any kind of self-cleaning, I'm really kind of intrigued by, um, particularly, you know, as we talked about like the sharing economy and autonomy and everything else that goes along with that. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I think it's a company called Nanoseptic. Yeah. And basically, apparently the system allows, uses some kind of what are called nanocrystals, um, that are powered by light and they create some kind of oxidation reaction that's supposed to be stronger than bleach. So it basically, the sunlight hits it and magic happens and it removes all of these different, uh, bacteria and such, um, which is kind of mind blowing. I'm really interested in kind of like how it could be deployed at scale, obviously. Um, and then really how effective it is. I mean, I, I we haven't, uh, I've been on the nanotech website and they, they make a lot of claims. I'm really interested to kind of see how, how, how it really holds up more than Do we know else. anything about the cost of this? Because obviously that's an issue in this space. Oh God. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I'm sure the, um, but I think the other thing too with them is they also have a different pricing structure than say a lot of other of the like kind of grab it and go kind of thing. I think they're more on a um, uh, more on a subscription basis, so that might defer the cost overall. But um, but yeah, it doesn't. They haven't announced what the cost per per bike is or anything like that. Um, but no, I mean I I think I think we talked about this before. But like my first like scooter experience, finally I got on one despite living in the Bay Area, was down in L.A. last year for the auto show and loved every second of it. But every time I put my hands on those handlebars, I just like I need to find hand sanitizer as soon as I get done with this ride. Um, and uh, this is obviously one of those solutions. How it can be how it can be applied, like I said, to other surfaces, I think is what I'm really interested in. They're just talking about handlebars and the brake lever, essentially, at this point. Um, but, you know, could that be applied to seats? Could that be applied to some of the plastic materials inside a car? All, all of those applications are really interesting. Um, now, whether or, need, whether or not they need to be exposed to direct sunlight, I think is probably one of the differences here on this technology because they're always out outside. But um, but yeah, either way, it's just a, a fascinating little um, innovation that could not come at a better time, right? But, you know, like I would want to know, like Consumer Reports compares products. Like how would you compare self-cleaning solutions right, on right. consumer products unless the reviewers had like labs? And that is going to lead to some mm. unpleasantness. No, that's a good point. <laughs> like, you know, unless there was like a – what do they call it? Like a underwriter's laboratory for, I think for viruses, Dis- you know, virus and yeah. antiviral surfaces. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, we should get someone on the show who's an expert in the history of disinfecting disinfectant claims. Hmm. Because if you, if you go to the supermarket now, you look, it says kills 99.99% of whatever. Um, I don't what know. Is, what is that 0.1% <laughs> okay. of bacteria and viruses? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because as consumers are more interested in perception than reality because they don't want to know the reality. So whatever that threshold is, I'd like to learn more about it. But Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen more announcements like this because, I mean, we know that there are antimicrobial, you know, materials. We know that there are various things. I mean, it could even be as simple as, you know, you, you spend a couple bucks per unit, which I know like given the economics of scooters and stuff is still tough, but, but still in, in this environment, 
if you came out and said, look, every bird or lime or whatever, um, we're just putting a little container of Purell on it. You know, that's just sort of, you know, it's funny. I mean, I've always kept Purell in, in my car um, because we go camping and sometimes you use gross bathrooms or whatever. And you just, we just always like to have it. And now we feel super prepared. Like that would be a really cheap way to address this. Like, I know there's a little bit of a shortage, but I'm just surprised we haven't seen like, you know, that happening. And and frankly, I think it's probably because, and, and this is like so much of what's going on right now is, and I know we've talked about this before on the show, but like, yes, COVID-19 is a huge thing. Yes. It's changing a lot of things, but it's also, there's been a lot of shakeout waiting to happen in mobility, you know, in, in autonomy and in, in micromobility and a lot of other things. And, and I think that, you know, one of the reasons we're not seeing more of this happening is that the unit economics are under severe pressure in micromobility right now. And even adding a buck or two in cost per unit at a time when I know Lime right now, we've, we've seen headlines are, they're trying to raise cash right now. They're pulling out of cities, Bird is in deep trouble. I mean, these companies are in trouble. And so even adding the cost of like zip tying some Purell or, or some sanitary wipes to each scooter, even that they, they can't really pull off. Well, and also, but, but that comes down to that automated versus human touch factor. Like zip tying right. Purell seems like an easy fit, but it also requires a human being to do that, maintain it. And we all know what happens. You go and you pick up the scooter and it doesn't have that. And it just has some like empty bottle. It looks gross hanging there. It's again another reason not to use that service. So the companies that figure out automated ways to do things are going to be the companies that potentially, you know, all things being equal, like as long as the rest of their business is sound and they're not, you know, incredibly leveraged and all this other stuff, that could help attract people to seek out those those products over, you know, a lime or a bird, for example. But I think that I think that just even having a non-automated solution would make some difference. And right now, I think it's it's everybody is in so in retreat in micromobility that even something minor and low cost like that would make some difference. Sure, it's not a long-term sustainable solution, but it would make some difference. When I go to the grocery store, the fact that there's now a big thing of disinfectant wipes right at the entrance, that makes a difference. Like even if it's just psychological, it makes a difference. And, and of course, theft is, is always going to be a problem in shared micromobility. Not anymore. <laughs> well, the, the other thing that I'm kind of interested in about this coding, and, and again, we've seen like, I remember covering this stuff like four or five years ago. I'm really interested when it's going to be applied to like phones, because, you know, as we all know, our phones are disgusting <laughs> um, and, you know, touchscreens in general are kind of disgusting. Um, actually, on the touchscreen topic, that actually um, is actually a good segue to uh, this uh, report that came out from Autocar, was it, I think? Yeah. About, uh, yeah, Honda is now looking to remove touchscreen controls from their cars. Not not because of COVID-19. <laughs> not because of COVID-19, because, yeah. but uh, again, it's one of those things that kind of wraps everything together. Right? Well, the timing could end up being... Very fortuitous. Uh, could end up working out. Uh, I yeah. think that the way, again, I don't think we fully appreciate the way human behavior is going to change as a result of, depending on how long the stretch is and how we want to use certain products. Um, and... It's, to me, it's either going to go even more technologically advanced. So you, uh, Ed and I have both seen this example of this haptic touchless screen where your hand is off the screen, but you can right, touch right. it. So it's either going to go that direction and fully automated, or it's going to go completely the other direction, which is no touch screen at all. Um, Ed, you were the one who... Uh, actually I've had a lot of conversation on Twitter about this um, specifically around Honda. So can you give us sort of the lowdown? Yeah. I, so I just posted the the link on Twitter and I was just blown away by how it just touched off a, a ton more interest than I could have possibly expected. Um, you know, we've had this thing happening um, for the last few years. Well, really for the last almost decade now, since the model S came out, the idea of, uh, you know, really having everything on one screen in a car. Um, clearly, uh, we've seen that that there is, if nothing else, um, something aesthetic that happens there where people are like, this is the future. It looks more like a smartphone. It feels more like a smartphone. 
I uh, don't really question whether or not cars are, are or should be different than smartphones. Um, and this is like that wave rolling back, I feel like. That's that's what I'm seeing on Twitter anyway. Um, and it's not just my followers either. So it's not like just Tesla haters. <laughs> it's just like it's been going all over and, and getting a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds um, really excited because basically what Honda said was, you know, this is a UI issue, um, right? So like the, it's, it's, it's just on the Honda Jazz right now, which is the fit uh, in this country, uh, the new version of that. And they're basically taking HVAC controls off of the touchscreen. And, um, and I think, you know, we've, we've discussed this uh, quite a while ago now, but, um, you know, clearly cars and smartphones are different. Um, I think people are starting to realize that more and more people are starting to realize that those big screens that just keep getting bigger and bigger and more and more stuff goes onto them. um, You know, it's a distraction. It's another distraction um, on top of the phones and everything else. And, um, yeah, it's 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 fascinating to see like how much backlash there is against that and how much people do seem to get that, you know what, a car and the way you interact with it and the way you use it and the risk factors involved with it um, actually create a very different set of incentives than those that guide phone design and phone UI. Alex, I'm very interested in what you have to say about this because you drive a Tesla and all of the HVAC is on the screen. Okay. So my Tesla hating troll friend, Ed, here's what I have to say about that. Uh, nothing is binary um, because one can design a touchscreen well or poorly. One can also design buttons well or poorly. So the real question is, does, a, does an optimally designed touchscreen, is that more distracting and less safe than an optimally designed button interface? There's probably a wonderful hybrid uh, you know, scenario, but I've never seen it. So under this question, are you saying that the Tesla Model 3 interface is good? I'd say, I actually think the Tesla interface, it's the best screen interface I've ever seen. Is it totally optimal? No, because I think that the, the best screen interface would still have a very simple cluster over the steering wheel mm-hmm. and which the model three does not have. So I, I would also say that Tesla has an advantage over other companies in that the voice contr- commands in a Tesla are extraordinarily good, especially the navigation voice commands are extraordinarily good. I've never seen another car that could touch it for voice commands. So the voice command plus screen in a Tesla I is generally better than most solutions I've seen in other cars. And I, I, I haven't, I mean, I like to say I've driven everything, but this space is evolving rapidly. Now going the other way, if you get into almost any brand new Mazda, yeah. you have a wonderfully simple, you know, uh, dial and button interface. I mean, like they've really stripped yeah. it. And for someone who likes, well, it's exactly what the Germans were doing 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Without a drive. So, Right? Like that's what it comes down to is we've seen this shift away where, I mean, I get my MX-5 every day. Well, not so much anymore. Um, and it's such an easy interface because it's just a scroll wheel, a back button, a home button, and that's it. So what, we have a real problem in BMW and Mercedes today. I, I think Mercedes is probably better than BMW at this point. Um, I like the what three words implementation mm-hmm. that Mercedes is trying uh, because it solves a bit of the navigation problem. I mean, I think the whole navigation space outside of Tesla is pretty much dead except for the what three words implementations, which are an interesting new idea. What do you think though about Volvo and also Polestar adopting the Android OS, um, which isn't, I'm not talking Android, you know, the equivalent of Apple CarPlay. That's just the middleware. I'm talking about the underlying operating system for the entire infotainment system, which allows uh, Google Assistant and other Google-based um, services to be embedded within the vehicle. Google Assistant Voice is is quite good, and it's I would say superior to to many other products out there. If you put that in a vehicle, I could see that being um, a game changer for you know at least putting Volvo up there. I haven't tested it. I mean, I've seen demonstrations of it, but I haven't, you know, used it 
one of their. VMs. I have I, I haven't tested that particular implementation. I would say that I mean every user is a different um, way of using systems. Like I did not use a voice command on my Tesla until like a few weeks ago because I just, I I was loosely aware of it and I just didn't believe in it until I tried it. But for unless users are really well educated on the capabilities of a system, they're going to use it kind of however they feel to use it. Mm-hmm. So unless a system is designed holistically, like the platform, the voice controls, and the and, and the UI of the screen are de- designed from ground up um, in harmony with the physical buttons in a car, there probably isn't like a blanket judgment to be made about how effective they're going to be. I mean, I think that's the Volvo and now Polestar is, is, you know, gunning for. I will say this as far as the Tesla, since I happen to also be driving a, a Tesla Model 3 right now. It's not <laughs> mine, but I, but I do occasionally drive it. Um, is that I've gotten very used to the interface. Um, it's funny to go into another vehicle and then have to kind of rethink how I'm, I'm doing things. But I will say that I've never liked the functionality for changing the air and fans. Oh, I love it. I might, might listen, Tesla's not perfect. Uh, the, the infotainment specific to podcasts and radio and other items is quirky. It's definitely not as good as oh, it could yeah. be. I can't get my local NPR station on. Local, local no, Citroen owner calls Tesla interface quirky. That stuff needs some work, but so many other things are so much better than no, an I would car agree I've that seen. There's, there's no, a lot it. of good stuff there, but there are certain things that I find incredibly distracting to get back to the Honda point, yeah. which is specifically around adjusting the air control because the way it works, and Alex, you know this very well. Yeah, you can slide your finger along the screen to change the trajectory of where the airflow is. Love it. Uh, when you're driving, your face is not looking forward for at least three to four seconds. When you put on put on autopilot. Yeah, oh, there's your there's your solution. Now listen, guys, okay. there's a, there's an aspect to this that that is kind of predictably getting over overlooked here um, uh-huh. because we're talking about, okay. you know, and, and the, the consumer facing aspect of this is important and interesting, right? This is we're talking about UI. So that's, that's important, but we're also talking a lot about like uh, premium vehicles here and mm-hmm. premium implementations. And it's interesting that this is on the Honda fit. This is like one of Honda's more affordable, basic vehicles. And I think what people don't necessarily appreciate about this is that, Honda is making a choice here um, that puts UI, so like user interface, above cost. And I think this is what people don't understand about Tesla, right? So, so a little bit of history with Tesla, right? With the Model S, there's more interior switch gear of various kinds in the Model S. It's still minimal, certainly was minimal by the by the standard of its time, still is today to some extent, but but also, you know, much more interior switch gear than on the Model 3. That's because um, Tesla had access to not just Toyota and Daimler's parts bins, mm-hmm. which people knew about, but actually Ford too. Now, a lot of people don't realize that there was a big deal with Ford. Now, I don't know how much of that was interior versus versus platform kind of uh, components, but um, it had deals with three automakers uh, to use parts that that automaker had engineered and sourced and, and had suppliers for. Uh, with the Model 3, because all of those OEM partnerships blew up, uh, Tesla didn't have those. And so it had to, in a way, I think, it pretty much had to minimize interior switch gear as much as possible and put as much on the screen as possible because especially for a low volume but premium product, like if you think about about the challenge of doing low volume and premium, um, particularly when it comes to creating like um, injection molding, right? The beauty of injection molding is that, yeah, it's really expensive to tool up for. The, the tooling is expensive for, but once you, cre- you know create that tooling, you know, each the incremental cost on each unit is, is, is a penny if that. Um, and so, and so, you know, doing, uh, um, making a, engineering high quality, uh, engineering and sourcing high quality interior switch gear is actually harder than putting in everything on the screen. And so, so what I'm doing and, and nobody care, nobody cares about high quality switch gear because nobody owns cars for more than three years. That's, That's not true. The average not age true. of the car is 11 that years is old. Not true. <laughs> 
Not Teslas. Not to- okay, fair okay, enough. Well, no and, one- and and their screens don't last that long either, right? I mean, that's, well, that's, that's why really anyone fun. who buys a Tesla outright is an idiot. <laughs> Speaking of idiots, can we just shout out the morons at Silicon Valley Tesla's owner Tesla Owners Club, right. um, who were on Twitter last week? Uh, to- no, no, it was no, it was actually it was my friend from uh, Out of Spec Motoring put up a video of a Model Y fording oh, about half oh, an inch God. of water. Hey, it and, was like two uh, inches, Alex. Let's be, let's it was, be it might have been here. a whole two inches. It was, le- it was, there was less fording and offering going on than when I drove my Morgan three-wheeler cross country on the interstate. And that video blew up. Um, and then the reply, the, the it ratio was, on that video—did it blow up because it was being mocked, or did it blow up because yes. people thought it was so great? Well, it would appear that the idiots at the te- Silicon Valley Tesla Owners Club decided to to re-promote it as like a great victory for off-roading and ask people to share their experiences, and then the mockery began. Um, there is something peculiar happening in the Tesla fan uh, fan clubs where. <laughs> Where they they seem to be about fifty years behind the rest of the automotive community in learning the magic of cars. There is something really amusing but pathetic about. There's these, also these the things. farm field uh, one, which I thought the best response was. Uh, it was it was supposedly showing, um, you know, off roading on this what looked like kind of a farm field, and when someone <laughs> tweeted. That's the parking lot at uh, your local state fair. I mean, yeah, it was Joe right. Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> right. that was classic. Uh, now, by the way, uh, quick question: I, What's the ride height difference? By the way, between the, uh, the uh, three and the wide, do you guys have an offhand? Maybe I, I have a breakdown. It can't be much. It's not by much. It's it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's and not much. This kind of raises a really fascinating thing about about the Model Y, um, which which I and by the way, I mean I, I will say thank you to Silicon Valley Tesla owners and all them. Um, these videos and the responses to them have made my quarantine so much better. But <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but seriously though, like like what's fascinating about the Model Y is that, and I was I was talking about this on Twitter as well with with some folks. Um, but like, it's Tesla's most rational car, right? They just took yeah. the Model Three. They they say it's like what eighty six percent parts sharing, but I mean it looks like it's like ninety six. Um, it's a very mild thing. It's some people say it's what the Model Three should have been in the first place. It's a way to boost margins and boost volume on an existing vehicle. Really, Tesla has never done that before. They've never made a car and then made a very rational, from a business perspective, sort of crossover variant of it. And what's fascinating about it is that like. It's just so out of touch with how Tesla operates. Like, like, and and the way I, I was sort of illustrating but in this a good way. Like, is that, well, no, exactly from a business perspective in a good way. But like Elon Musk has already been out to Nobu, you know, in his cyber truck and like, you know, this is so cool. I don't think I've ever seen Elon Musk talk excitedly about the Model Y, like like talk about driving it. I don't think he's been seen driving it. I might be wrong about this. Like there, there he may have, you know, I assume he's done some testing on it, but like it's just not exciting to him. And and I think it just brings up a really fascinating, you know, contradiction at the heart of Tesla, which is that like everyone likes the fact that like it's it's Elon Musk's, you know, dream factory where he comes up with this wild, exciting, fun, cool stuff. Uh, but then also like their stock is super high. And so they kind of need to like at least pretend like uh, they're making now. money. It's still pretty freaking high. Um and uh and and so it's like you know is this is this company about making money or is it not uh and the, and the model y really gets to the heart of that and it it you know if 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 you were if any other car company had the marketing sort of like silver bullet that is Elon Musk and his twitter account and his social media presence and everything else um and they had a product like the model y just coming out you would bet that they would have Elon Musk posting a video every single freaking day of him driving the Model Y and talking about how great it is. And yet he never he never does it. He, why would you? Look what's going on in the world right now. Now is not the time to pull that okay, out. Okay, but even over the so, last like three months or, oh, or, or well, six months. I think months. that actually I yeah. would recommend that Elon do that as opposed to some of the other things he's been doing on Twitter. And <laughs> <laughs> that too. Very, very fair. By the way, guys, I got to tell you, I, the, I think the Model Y is genius, and I think when this quarantine ends, Tesla's going to kill it. I don't own any Tesla stock, but um, I think this is going to go. Abs- I think the stock's going to go absolutely 
berserk when the quarantine lifts. They start delivering more of these cars. So I but but huh. but again, like okay. maybe it's just so out of touch with with Tesla's you know brand and values, and like it's just it, now it's it, boring. It's the, the most boring no, Tesla ever. Yeah, made. exactly, exactly, exactly. It's going to sell like hotcakes no, because it's not like because unfortunately, cake. you know, boring cars have to have that other thing that makes them worthwhile, oh, which is oh, which is. Stop like it. Toyotas, right? Like Toyotas have always been boring cars, but they're also insanely reliable and cheap to fix and easy to own. Well, and like, and so like this is going to have all the downsides of a Tesla, which is like saying all the downsides oh, of a Land Rover. And and you're just, you're I'm just, just grasp, you're just reaching no, now. I'm, you're just grasping at straws. I'm just pointing out that they've created a situation in which doing the rational thing from a business perspective. It, it creates weird contradictions. Like that's a, it's an interesting you're, you're situation for a car company to be in. You're forgetting one thing though, and is that the the Tesla fan isn't necessarily rational, um, and that they're going to jump on and promote essentially any product that comes out from Tesla. So now that doesn't necessarily boost global sales enough but i think that there is just if you look at the difference between how um forgiving tesla fans have been with those vehicles i agree with alex for different reasons that uh the model y will likely sell quite well well you guys you guys don't, I don't know read about the, you guys don't read the forums so you don't realize that um actually they're becoming a lot less forgiving every single day. But but more to the point, I think I think the promotion that you're talking about is what has created these videos, right? And now it's created these mockery and 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 right? Those are Tesla fans trying to promote this new Tesla model in the way that new Teslas have traditionally been promoted, which is like, look at this badass cool thing. It's not a cool badass thing. It's a simple it's it's like a basic boring mommy mobile crossover, right? It doesn't lend itself to the. It doesn't need to be a good offroader. That's that's kind of my point here. Is that is that it's not. It wasn't designed to be an offroader because nobody who buys crossovers buys them to go offroading. They buy them to take their kids to school, right? But how do you promote a Tesla that is just a vehicle that's meant to take kids to school? Like, there's no game plan for it. They're in uncharted territory here. The, it, the, let me tell you, the car sells itself. People, people are going to love it. The real, the real question can't is, argue with that analysis. Yeah. Literally, yeah. <laughs> nobody so cares. People are going to love it. Yeah, um, but the other thing which really gets me is, is, is how many people are going to spring seven thousand dollars this idiotic full self driving package on top of a Model Y? Because Model Y is really, really meant to appeal to a whole group of people who who would never get into a Tesla before, and. I cannot imagine that you can sell a $7,000 option of which 90% is pure grift and bullshit <laughs> um, to people like to, to soccer moms to, you know, it just, it just, I just don't, I just don't Alex, buy that. Full and self-driving think- is going to work perfectly by the end of this year. And it's going to sell like hotcakes. Coronavirus. This uh, is a special problem for Tesla and it's a, it's a, because if ever there was a moment where the operate opera, operational design domain just got really easy, it's right now. <laughs> like if Tesla had anything that could work anywhere, they should be able to deploy it right now. By the way, and we for social distancing purposes, if Musk was really smart and if he had anything that actually worked, what he would do is it, your Tesla would take you to your front the front door of the supermarket. Um and or it would drive you like in a line to keep you socially distanced, drop you off and come get you right now. So I've now. already seen at least one. I don't know if it was like a fake video or whatever. Where someone was talking about using their their Tesla in summon mode to go through a drive through. I saw that story. Mm-hmm. But, that's, but that's that's the kind of promotion that has. Right. And that's what people are. Right. The Tesla people trying to figure out how to. Right. People write stories about the gee whiz tech. And um, even though it doesn't really make any sense to stand next to your vehicle, pointing your phone at it to get it to move by itself. Um, but that, yeah, you're right. That, that. Why hasn't someone attested uh, bioweapon defense mode to see if it actually works? Because it doesn't. <laughs> um, I heard a rumor. From that um, bioweapon defense mode is nothing more than 
a HEPA filter and a great and a great brand and a domain. Yeah, yeah apparently, and that literally every car in the, in on the market has a HEPA I, I filter get the as good as Tesla. Tesla's bioweapon defense. I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> yeah, Tesla's. I mean, here's well, the thing. Let's talk about an exciting off-road, exciting off-road vehicles, electric that people might glom onto. Um, I'm very curious to see how Rivian's Rivian is going to do. Yeah, and and I'm actually very curious to see how any of these companies are going to do. Um, because right now, at least anecdotally, and we won't know for a few more days because end of quarter is today. Um, and, and the next two quarters looking at car sales, we know that they have been, they've been dropping, but I've anecdotally heard a number of people trying to end their leases, sell their vehicles, trade them in for cheaper ones in the past few weeks, because they are trying to tighten and pull back as much as possible because maybe someone in their household lost their job or whatever they, or they expect something to happen. Um, where their budget is squeezed more. So will people, as excited as they might be for an all-electric pickup truck or an all-electric SUV that Rivian has, will they end up uh, really throwing that money down? I mean, I think that they will, but I'm curious what you guys think. If you think that, that even companies like Rivian, which there's a lot of buzz around this company... You know, arguably a more exciting off-road vehicle than the Model Y, that's for sure. Um, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, are they going to... Because their vehicles are expected to be going into production at the end of this year. I think there's a lot of of tech companies, and I would include Rivian in this, but but not exclusively just them, that have probably a while ago committed to fairly aggressive uh, product launch timelines who now have an excuse to push those out a little bit more mm-hmm. and yeah. are probably very happy to have that excuse. And, and, and I think in particular, right, like Rivian's very lucky that they're not launching right now, that they are starting a sort of soft launch or uh, sort of late at the end of this year when there's at least some chance of, of life having, you know, gone back to something resembling normalcy. Um, and, and I'm sure there's lots of others as well. And I'm sure certainly in the autonomous vehicle space, there are some companies who are probably pretty happy that, Hey, like now they have an excuse to, to push back for another year, just like the Olympics did and everything else. If they have enough. Yeah, if, if they that's, can weather the storm, which is that's the question. About. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like we were talking about micromobility companies being really crunched for cash right now, the automakers, which by the way, you know, and if they get into trouble, that's going to trickle down to the the AV companies and a lot of other companies that they've invested in and partnered with. Um, they, a lot of them can probably make it to about October. Right now, there are no car factories operating in the US apparently. Yeah. And uh, the, you know, they can furlough their workers, but there are still a lot of fixed costs, even, even in, a, in a totally non-operating automaker. And even though their balance books are much better than they were in 2008, in, in a lot of ways, they're much better positioned. Gas is is cheap and it's going to stay cheap. There's a lot of things going for the car business right now that weren't in 2008. But still, if we get to October and things have not come back, and I'm not just talking about people are going out of the house and people, it's it's our small businesses coming back, our jobs coming back, uh, our unemployment claims going down. A lot of different things uh, have to happen for the auto industry to get back to above basically 10 million units a year, which, which is their sort of, you know, we, we don't even know for sure. They say, you know, the, the ones who are in trouble in 2008 say that 10 million units a year is where they need to break even. But that assumes, you know, the same market share and all that other stuff. So there's a chance at this point that we won't be at a 10 million unit SAR. I, I'm not, you know, this is not my, I'm not a quant analyst on this stuff, but I, I would say there's at least a chance that, that we're not there come October uh, and if that's the case, like we're going to have to bail out car companies again, and, and that's going to trickle down to the entire mobility tech e- Well, ecosystem. also, it, it, namely, um, not only because automakers were interested in many of these companies, sensor companies, for example, and things like that, but their investment arms, their strategic investment arms were will likely either fold or get real, real quiet. Um, and focus attention on what is profitable. And right now, what is profitable with low gas prices is going to be the highest margin cars and that they can they can they can manage. Which brings me actually to 
what I think is going to happen with today, um, the Trump administration um, officially rolled back the clean car standards, um, which means on fuel. Then these were, you know, uh, standards that were agreed upon by automakers in 2012 uh, during the Obama administration. It rolls back fuel economy standards and emissions. And the, the, the argument by the Trump administration was that this is going to save consumers a thousand dollars a car. Essentially, it's going to reduce. Uh, and so the the thinking is, and also make vehicles quote unquote safer. Right, right. Yeah. So because because well, the here's here's the theoretics because because people will because cars are cheaper, they're going to buy a newer vehicle, and since folks in the U.S. tend to hold on to uh, vehicles on average of 11 to 12 years, that's what makes it safer. That's what makes it more fuel efficient. Right. It's not that they, you know, so let's be clear what that means. The thing is, there's no restrictions um, with automakers of how they use that extra profit margin that they will potentially get mm-hmm. in savings. In the beginning, to survive post-COVID, I believe that they will use it to reduce the cost of vehicles, but that will fade for sure. And then we'll be left with, you know, lower fuel economy standards and um, less strict, less stringent vehicle emission standards. Um, those aren't going away. It's not like they're temporary. No. I mean, the, the larger issue though, is the automakers really don't have much guidance here because they know for this is going to be tied up in courts for months, if not a year, right? Like, I think that's the larger thing I'm, I'm interested in is, you know, how is this stuff actually going to play out? Because the way it's designed right now, I think they cut it from what, a 5% fuel economy increase every year. Now it's down to like a percentage and a half. half Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, but again, like the guidance is all over the place and, you know, let's not forget we got an election in November, right? Um, and 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 that could change this really rapidly, really really quickly as well. So, yeah, I see I see a lot of takes that like, oh, Trump's giving the auto industry exactly what they want with this, and and it's funny because totally the, not true. It's exactly yeah, what it they, really it really isn't. They they've consistently said again and again they would rather have one national, not only just have one national standard versus having this battle between California and the states that follow it versus the feds, right? They don't like that that potential for a patchwork, but they also don't like the lack of predictability. This is a business where you have to plan out five, 10 years in advance what's going to happen. And they would much rather have a higher standard that they can that is that they know will stick around and they'll know will be predictable. And so so their the uh, auto alliance or whatever their latest statement on this was like, you know, they they weren't they weren't out celebrating this. They're like, this is actually going to create unpredictability in the short term that's that could could actually be challenging. Uh, I don't know the answer to this question, but I thought that there was still some lobbying happening, though, by automakers to roll back these fuel economy standards. Is that not accurate? I'm sure there is, but but look, and, and here's the other thing with with these cafe. I mean, cafe is such a classic example of like the more complicated a policy is, uh, <laughs> you know, the the worse it kind of is. And 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 what makes it really bad is that people focus entirely on these top line numbers. And like, yeah, they matter, right? They're obviously important, but there are so many loopholes, the super credits, the off cycle credits, the, this, that there's so many ways in like to game this system. I think that's where the lobbying happens. It's not so much on the top line number. I don't think I, you know, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not in the middle of this though. One line and, and, and I will, I would love to hear from listeners if they have any insight into this because I haven't looked at it very deeply. But it seemed like also one of the arguments was that companies wouldn't have to use as many credits as a result of this rollback. So does that impact, you know, EV producers like Tesla, for example, that have, you know, sold a lot of these credits? Here, here's the other thing, though. Like, I mean... So I, I don't know the exact answer to this, but like whatever impact this fuel economy standard change will have, particularly on EVs, it will be nothing, nothing compared to the impact of what's happening right now in oil markets. Hmm. And and I know that's frustrating because in theory, at least we have as um, participants in a representative democracy of sorts, um, we you know we in theory have some some ability to 
effect or lobby or influence policy. Whereas with markets, we don't really have as much of that power. But right now, what's happening in the oil market is so dramatic and looks like it's going to stick around for so long. Like that's, if, if anything kills off the shift to EVs, which is already, by the way, you know, not as in evidence in the numbers as it is in people giving keynote addresses. Um, you know, so, so honestly, if you're an environmentalist, that's the concern. And again, I understand why people want to focus on the policy because there's a chance to change that, but. Well, there is, it, it's twofold though, because uh, back many years ago when I was an energy reporter, it was always the coupling of, of the carrot and stick the markets of pushing uh, in in the case of 2008 the, the opposite happening but uh gas prices being upwards of $5 a gallon in in some places coupling that with incentives to buy an EV plus in addition to that stricter emissions that threefold or that three-legged stool is what many believe would push push sales what's happening in some markets like Europe, emissions restrictions are quite strict. And so they're, they're going to potentially allow or encourage people to continue to buy either more fuel efficient vehicles or EVs. In the US, we don't really have that. It's a patchwork, as you mentioned. Um, it's not near, so it's less effective. And so then the markets take over with the price of gas. Right. Right. And I think that's why you've seen over the last couple of years um, this sort of shift in in like kind of on the political left in this country um, towards uh, sort of on the one hand, Green New Deal, sort of very radical policies um, that that talk about sort of, you know, wholesale, you know, you know, forcing a wholesale shift to electric uh, electrification of cars. Um, but then also beyond that, even um, the resurgence in like transit advocacy, biking, bike mm. infrastructure, that kind of stuff. I think people are losing faith in the idea that you can kind of tweak cafe and and some of the you know policy frameworks that we have in place to to get the kind of outcomes that, especially if you think that you know we're in a climate crisis that you need, and and that's pushing people towards more like radical policy uh, uh, suggestions. May I suggest that we devote a future episode to policy and maybe talk to David Zipper again? Yeah, good suggestion. Let's let's do it. Um, okay, so Alex is is doing his thing where he points to his watch. <laughs> do you have any? <laughs> He's got to get back to his bunker. That we want to, yeah. That that Model Three is not going to turn itself into a technical. Um, do we have any thoughts that we want to wrap up with, Alex? Do you have any any parting wisdom for us? I would love to know right now. Where the car interior self cleaning like UV light startups are, and how much money they're getting that we're not hearing about this week. That's I think I'm surprised I, Argo isn't already talking to them. If they were, I couldn't. I wouldn't be. I couldn't say anything. So, <laughs> well, um, I think that that's a should be an open call to our our listeners. So, um, you know, please reach out to us if if you know of a company or you have some insight into. What is happening on the automation side of um, micromobility, you know, automated cleaning side of autonomous vehicles and micromobility? Because we'd love to hear from you. Um, I'll also wrap up by saying my newsletter this week, I, you know, asked people to reach out um, and just, you know, really kind of give me their perspective of what's going on. And I was blown away by um, how many people reached out, like dozens and dozens of people and from all over the world. And, and a lot of it was anecdotal stuff, but oh man, a lot of them were um, worked at startups, startup founders, um, really kind of struggling out there trying to pivot. And, and so I think that, you know, I want to make the same call to listeners here to please reach out to us. And um, maybe we should start featuring some of their stories because that's what I'm planning on doing over at my newsletter. Nice. Which is a great newsletter, by the way, if you guys haven't subscribed yeah. yet. I'll, really I'll, long. My, my parting thought, I guess, will be that um, I've generally not been a huge fan of newsletters um, because I read so much. And I feel like what's going on in the world right now has been really has interrupted my normal sort of approach to that. And I've really like 
started to appreciate newsletters in a way that I didn't before. And Kirsten's is great. Obviously, Riley Brennan's Future of Transportation um, Movements, uh, Micromobility Podcast or uh, Micromobility Industries are some really good ones. So um, if you're also having a hard time sort of following news in a, in a more sort of daily routine kind of way these days, um, check out some of those those newsletters because they're really good and they really help uh, fill that gap. Damon? Uh, I got nothing uh, aside from the fact that, uh, you know, we, we uh, clearly Mother Nature is very disappointed with us and has sent us all to our rooms. So uh, <laughs> keep doing that. Sounds good. Well, so, well deserved. Yeah. Um, so what we should do, I think, is this. Uh, let's start fielding any um, insights from from listeners. And also, since we are stepping up the number of episodes while we're all at home, I know you're not commuting and maybe not listening to as many podcasts, but I believe that that's going to change. So send your suggestions. Who do you want to hear from? And we'll have them on the show. Wow. Good outro music. That sounds like a great suggestion, Kirsten. And we hope to feature those uh, stories and suggestions on the next episode of the Atonicast.